Blackwater, the Wagner Group, Executive Outcomes, the Flying Tigers, the Swiss Guard, the White Company, the Knights Templar, the Varangian Guard, Clerkus of Sparta, Pythagoras the Spartan, Mentor of Rhodes, and Socrates of Achaea. The list is endless. Mercenaries, guns for hire, soldiers of fortune, private military companies, private security contractors, dirty deeds done not so dirt cheap. History is replete with privatized militaries. Call them what you want. They've been around for a very long time and they are very likely not going away anytime soon. So you better get used to it, grow up and accept it or move to another planet. Because in this world, folks, money trumps everything. And like it or not, wars are good for business. And pandemics? As if the only pandemic being hyped is an actual thing. Folks, the only thing hurting anyone is the pandemic of the ignorant, the gullible, and the blindly obedient. History tells us that more people are enslaved and killed by such means of oppression and tyranny than by any other means. Oppression and tyranny, folks, money, profits and propaganda, call it psychological operations or call it psychological conditioning, you are being gaslit. So remove your blinders, all of them, and take a good sensory inventory of what you're being told and shown to believe. Because here we go. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Aconus, The Contractor's Life. Talking from the relatively insulated and bucolic rural foothill of northwestern Washington State, I'm your host, Scott Dresser. So, life as a private security contractor in a hostile or a war-torn zone. Well, as I've said, it is a mixed bag of blessings. Some good some not so good. All in all, private security contracting is much the same as life. It is what you make it. And speaking of making it, that includes friends. Because friends, friends, friends. We all need friends. Now, I'm not talking about sucking up or kissing ass or going out of your way to befriend somebody. I'm just saying that we all need people to help us do things to get where we're going. Okay, it takes a team, okay? No man is an island unto himself, all right? So <laughs> the guy out there crawling around, if you got this vision of the solo operator out there with a rusty K-bar clenched in his teeth, skulking around, doing his thing for king and country and making it all the way back safely, well, that's the stuff of movies. That's fanciful, okay? What is not the stuff of movies, what is not fanciful is living and working in a foreign country that is a country that's not yours you don't reside there some might say you don't belong there and in some cases that could that actually is true sometimes uh, but friends people and that can be everything from you seeing somebody meeting somebody on the other side of the planet while you're working in a hostile, war-torn zone, and you say to yourself, 
Holy shit, I know that person. And you haven't seen him in a decade or two or three. Yes, that happens. And sometimes they are friends. Other times, they're friends that you make on the ground while you're there doing your job, your duty, your work, whatever. Okay. Sometimes you befriend them. Sometimes they befriend you. Sometimes they're not even friends. We'll call them friends because we sometimes call them friends, even though they're sometimes not. But they're good people, or at the very least, they got your back. They're watching out for you. They're taking care of you silently, perhaps even unbeknownst to you at the time. But they're there, and they got your back. For whatever reason, who knows? They feel a sense of duty, a sense of obligation. Maybe it's just their professionalism. Who knows? Maybe they've been tasked to do it. It does happen. As cops that I know, and MPs as well, have told me many times, and you've probably heard something similar if you know people who are cops or MPs, and the longer they're in it, the more they know this and the more they'll attest to it. Okay, There is no such thing as a coincidence. I've heard that refrain a great many times from those folks. Okay, And I think that what they mean by that, after a discussion with a good friend of mine here recently who was an MP, uh, and he kind of pretty much agreed, uh, so maybe I'm right, maybe I'm not, who knows. But I don't think that there is no such thing as coincidence. I mean, everything happens for a reason. Okay, whether it's man-made design or otherworldly design. Okay, and <laughs> let's be honest, a lot of times it's man-made. Whether it goes right or not is immaterial. It's man-made. Okay, but sometimes, you know, you've heard the refrain, shit happens. Okay, you make the best plans, it's detailed, you got it ratcheted down. It's a solid, rock-solid plan. Everybody likes it. And then... What's that old saying about first engagement? Well, you've probably heard that. You know what I'm talking about. So, back to friends. And a good case in point to kind of tie this together. Uh, and this was years into my contracting career. So, I'm kind of leaping ahead a little bit here. We'll get back to Kuwait. But, so I'm in Jordan. And that wasn't a place, that was a place that a lot of us frequented even if we were just transiting, coming and going. Whether we stayed there just for a few hours or a day or two or three, whatever. One time in particular, on my way home, transiting through Jordan, and I spent a night, maybe it was two nights, at the Queen, whatever hotel that was. Every, you know, If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. It's changed a lot. And I remember the first time I went through there, it was like, whoa, this place looks like it got hit by a bomb. <laughs> um, and over the years, they, they fixed it up. It was a lot better. Um, in fact, uh, the last time I went through there, almost, almost posh. And maybe it is now. Anyway, so I'm in there. It's my last day there. It's the morning. I've, I've packed my stuff. I'm getting, I'm down in the lobby. I make my way to uh, the, the kind of a coffee bar, cafe open area, uh, semi-segregated uh, from, from the main foyer lobby area. And I'm um, just drinking my coffee, smoking my cigarettes, and, uh, you know, as usual, keeping a, a casual, observant eye and ear to everything that's going on, because that's just what you do. Even if you're just traveling for vacation purposes or business purposes, you should always be wary, not leery necessarily, but wary, 
or and I don't mean weary because you're not wore out, but weary. You know, call it uh, situational awareness, whatever you want to call it, folks. So that's what I'm doing, and uh, I make my way through the foyers and through the lobbies. I'm going out the doors. Uh, I decide I want to have a cigarette outside, get some fresh air. And uh, I saw this dude coming, you know, out the corner of my eye uh, from what was otherwise the bar area. So there's a a short, small hallway that connects to the bar. And I thought about going there, but uh, the night before I didn't. I drank in my room. Uh, Yeah, I kind of like the song. I like to drink alone (laughs) when I do uh, for a lot of reasons. But. Uh, so this guy, I see him and he comes out the doors. He's only a few seconds behind me, maybe five or 10 seconds. And, uh, he's a pretty solid, tall dude. And, uh, he strikes up conversation, lights a cigarette. And we're talking, you know, and he's talking about how he used to be a scary dude and his wife, this, and, you know, used to complain about it. And, you know, so, I mean, I kind of figured this guy out, you know, pretty quick, It was, you know, and we're talking. And I don't remember what his story was, why he claimed he was there, and he'd been at the bar the night before, and he'd been drinking, and and I, you know, mentioned like I just did, that I thought about going there, but drank in my room. So, um, anyway, long story short, he just happens to be departing at the same time. Uh, We're on separate flights, but uh, he offers, you know, he to basically escort me and usher me and make sure I get through everything, you know, without you know being disturbed or anything and and uh you know kind of like being a big brother um you know or a protective escort basically is what it boiled down to and this was shortly after um and by shortly after i mean weeks maybe even months after i had come back to iraq after being deported or kicked out of iraq however you want to term it um and i and i thought and so i'm thinking about all this stuff as we're going through baggage checks and we're going through everything and he you know he points out make sure that i know exactly how to get to the flight that i'm going to and uh, i knew because i'd been through that airport a number of times and uh but you know i was i was pleasant i mean it's like you know <laughs> he was an american just like me even if he wasn't he was being pleasant he was being friendly it's like why not you know friends you can never have enough friends uh especially when you're outside your own country uh but I, I remember thinking about that, and I thought that was just really odd. And, and I've had no shortage of odd head-scratching moments in my life. Uh, but this one, I, I remember thinking that was just really strange. Uh, and he, I'd forget the exact contract he said he was on. And, uh, but he was a, an advisor slash consultant, and it was there in Baghdad. And it was in, you know, in that part of uh saddam's primary residence palatial area i forget the exact building that he said he was in but when he when he had mentioned it and told me it's like oh yeah yeah i knew where he was talking about because i'd been out there uh, and i'd taken pictures of it and you know i mean a lot of people have been out there and, and visited and walked through and uh pretty nice area but i remember thinking you know that was just really strange really odd now was that coincidence maybe you know was it just the stars lining up properly maybe i mean who knows okay just like when i was deported kicked out of iraq and uh, i think i've told this story before so i won't go into the long uh jaw on it uh, at least not this time around but when i came back it was pretty apparent that there were a lot of people 
that for whatever reason, and part of it was my fault, I, I didn't wrestle hard enough to make sure that the word got out, but neither did I at the time want to act or come across as reacting as a frantic, scared child who's lost and he's being taken advantage of and please come help rescue me <laughs> you know. so when i came back it became pretty apparent that there were a number of people some of them pretty quite influential uh, that had taken note of it word had gotten to them uh through a number of sources people that i worked with who knew me maybe some liked me maybe some didn't but whatever they they helped get the word out and let's just say that on my arrival back to Iraq when I went through Biop or Baghdad International Airport it was the easiest breeziest time I've ever had going through an international airport Woo! they couldn't usher me through fast enough politely enough and friendly enough it was absolutely amazing okay so friends 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 I'm just saying okay they may not all truly be friends but they like you, they like what you do, they realize you're a good person and you're doing a good thing and you haven't caused any harm, you're not doing anything wrong and because they like you, they will do things that would just astonish you And in these moments where you're going, holy crap, now what? Okay. And I've had plenty of them. And I'm sure so have some of you. <laughs> and if you've had them, you know what I'm talking about. It's good to have friends. Another case in point, uh, and this is, uh, again, a little bit further up the ladder. We're getting further away from Kuwait. We'll get back to Kuwait. <laughs> but, uh, and, and actually, I think it was actually it was around the same time frame. It was, it was during that time when I had been kicked out or deported from Iraq. And I was on a flight. Well, I, on a flight, I had to go to Lebanon uh, and specifically Beirut. And uh, I checked, you know, I checked into a hotel. I don't remember what the hotel was. It was a roughly 45-minute drive from uh, the airport there in Beirut. Um, why it took 45 minutes, almost an hour to get there, I don't know. Maybe the, the cab driver wanted extra money. I don't know. But it was about a 45-minute drive. Uh, so long story short, um, I, I talked with the people there at the hotel and of course I'm, I'm quite wary. Uh, I mean, we're talking Beirut, right? So, um, and, uh, long story short, they, they, they turn out to be some good people. The guy behind the desk, the guy, uh, for, for forget what the other guy's actual job title was, but he was kind of like a jack of all trades. He also did meals, breakfasts and dinners. And man, he made me some phenomenal breakfasts. I mean, fit for a king or at least a prince. And it was enough that it got me through the entire day. It was absolutely amazing. And I did dinner a couple times, but I almost really didn't need it because the breakfast, I mean, the breakfast, I'm telling you folks, I can't say enough about the Middle East, the culture, you know, their their history. You know, if you're not a bad person, I'm not saying that there aren't bad people out there. I am hardly naive, okay? There's bad people everywhere, but there's good people everywhere also. And maybe it's just because I was an American on a DOD contract. Who knows? But, so they get me this driver because I needed a driver because I didn't want, I didn't trust cabs. I didn't want to take a cab. Um, you can probably, it's kind of like, it'd be like, you know, um, you go to Afghanistan. Are you going to take a taxi? Really? 
Well, if you're a local resident native, maybe that works. But um, as an American, probably not so. I mean, I am white skin. I'm a pale man. I stand out. <laughs> okay. Blue eyes. Uh, depending on the time of year and whether I put water in my hair, it's either dark or it's light. But, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously a, an American. Okay. So I get this driver and uh, uh, make this story as short as I can. But it turns out, and, he, and he, he gained my confidence fairly quickly, went out of his way uh, to let me know that he was professionally licensed, one of the very few people there in Beirut professionally licensed to drive and escort people like me armed in an armed capacity. So he went out of his way to assure me I would be safe, I would be fine as long as I was with him. And so he took me where I needed to go, including the embassy, to get some documentation taken care of. And uh, uh, took me on, a, you know, some tours. And we went through some neighborhoods that I went, I don't think we should be going through these. They said, and <laughs> I mean, I was getting a little fidgety there for, for a time. And, but he went out of his way. He said, Scott, relax. You're with me. You know, and he went through this whole spiel again about being licensed and armed. And he knew the area. And I'd be okay as long as I was with him. And I'm like, oh, shit. Did I get set up or what? Turned out just fine. Saw plenty of things. It was really kind of cool. It was a little little nerve-wracking, but it was really kind of cool. Long story short, where I'm going with it, is that for whatever reason, the guy took a shine to me. By the end of my trip, it was either five or seven days there, uh, and I don't recollect what they call it, but you've seen it in the movies, and I want to say it was Casca or Kiaska or something like that, but it, it looks like uh, a red bowl if you will it's 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 a it's a stiff hard cap that you put on your head it's circular it's a slight cone structure and it's flat on the top and it's got all this arabic stuff on it including like a tree of life kind of symbol on it but he gave it to me and you know and it's customary quite customary i guess this has happened a lot in my travels where if they liked you if they decided they liked you they would give you a parting gift that was just their custom. And it was also customary for you to give them something. And sometimes I had stuff to give. Sometimes I didn't. But he gave me that. I came to, and I took it as quite an honor. And I thanked him profusely. And I came to realize later that that really was, uh, and I'm probably not articulating it properly, but that was a huge sign of respect for me, to me, towards me, from him. And uh, he gave me his business card. I think I've still got it somewhere. Um, I, I know I've referred to him a few times to people that were going that way. If you're looking for, you know, a, uh, an armed security driver, someone who will take care of you, who knows the area. He's born and raised there. Um, so I'm just saying friends, 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 man. Everybody needs friends. And, you know, I'm not tooting my own horn, but I'm just saying when, when, you, when you are a good person, okay, Regardless of what you're doing or your job, okay, we're all sinners. We all make mistakes. We're human. But people recognize good people. You and I, we recognize a good person when we're talking with them, when we meet them. Sometimes they're so good, you can sense the goodness. And conversely, and you probably have had this experience yourself, conversely, sometimes they're so wicked and so evil, you can sense that from almost a mile away. Okay, I mean, if you've had that experience, you know what I'm talking about. 
Okay, and so and then so you want to know? I mean, there, there's probably a, an endless list of them, and I won't try to go down them all uh, because I don't want this entire segment or episode to be about it. But for example, when I was in the airport in Biap, being uh, summarily uh, dismissed from the country, um, there were you know I, I I was doing everything I could, you know, and I don't recall if this was before or after the people from the State Department showed up. And as I've said in a previous episode, they were basically of absolutely no use to me whatsoever. Uh, there were three of them that showed up. And as I said it stated before, two of them were sympathetic. One was very sympathetic, but his boss was just being a hard ass, being a real dickhead, and just didn't want to help. Um, I could have, and probably in hindsight, should have pressed the issue. But, you know, everything happens for a reason, so whatever. But where I'm going with it is that there were a number of people in that airport. I mean, pretty probably pretty much everybody knew what was going on. Um, at least they sensed that something what was going on. Um, and you know, they had uh, I don't know if they were guards or police. I did recognize some of them as police um, in the airport, armed. But uh, as I'm trying to get you know find a way to to divert or get away from this flight that they want me to take. Um, you know, I'm, I'm talking to people and one of the guys at the ticket counter said, you know, I don't remember how that story went exactly, but what he did is, is he said he could get what I wanted, but what, and I forget the, 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 the fare or the fee, but, it, but he wanted cash. He needed cash. I'm like, ah, oh, geez. And I didn't have the means on me in my wallet or all the rest of it to get that cash to get the ticket that I needed so I could get a flight right so but he, so then he tells me about this fellow that he knows who something to do with the one of the restaurants in there he hooks me up with this dude they put me in essentially the VIP section room of this restaurant that is otherwise closed because there's nobody in there they they open the doors they let me in and they're trying to hide me from <clears throat> the authorities so that <laughs> as i recollect when something like if if you if you can stay here long enough don't come out if they don't find you when that flight leaves it's too late and then they'll have to let you go because the next flight is at least a day away if nothing else it gives me more time to muster resources and, and put out you know the the, the proverbial flare to let people know i'm there you know help me out uh well they did eventually find me, and they were not happy about it. And it was almost a rousting kind of experience. But uh, they calmed down because uh, you could tell, you know, not everybody's hip on, on the way <clears throat> that their authorities treat people. And that was the case there in the airport as well. Uh, but, again, ultimately, yeah, I was, they, they, they made sure they, uh, what's the, I guess the, the proper term for it, would be that they expedited <laughs> my entry onto that airplane. They made room for me. They wanted me out of there. <laughs> so, but again, friends, friends, friends. And, and uh, so everything was good. Um, and, you know, another thing, and I've told people this before, you know, uh, I remember when I was at the embassy there in Beirut, I didn't have my passport. Um, I, I, as I recollect, it was confiscated, whatever it was. Um, and uh, so I, so I went, so I went to, or no, maybe I had, however it was, I think the embassy had it. Maybe I don't remember. Somehow they had it. That's right. The embassy already had it. 
that had gone there a couple of days before, two or three days before. And it took like two or three days for them to process it because I, I needed extra pages. It was like, do you want a new passport or do you want extra pages? Well, I wanted extra pages because it was at least as, at least as much as a new passport in terms of the space and probably actually more. Uh, it was like 80-something pages then. But uh, so I go back to pick it up and, and they weren't going to let me in because I didn't have my passport. Fortunately, and I think I'd heard this from other guys, I had a photocopy of that front page of my passport that showed the vital information. And that got me through and up to the front counter. And the guy looked at it and looked at me and he said, that was smart. That was a great idea. Okay. So, you know, something to keep in mind when you're traveling. And I've told my wife and other people this, have a photocopy of those pages in your passport, the, the critical information. So if it goes missing, it goes AWOL, you got something, you got a document, and make multiple copies and put them in, in, in multiple places. Okay, don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? So friends, 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 you got to have friends, man. So what does friends have to do with anything in Kuwait? Well, there's plenty of stories there, too. And one that, you know, I, I recollect uh, that to this day, and maybe you'll understand and know the reason why it stays with me. Um, but there was a barber shop, uh, street level, uh, about a block or two from that high-rise apartment building that I lived in uh, for approximately four or five, maybe six months, something like that. You know, the tour, you know, the second half of my tour when I was, you know, asked to leave Arifjan and they wanted me to go somewhere else um, because I had pretty much exposed all the all the BS that these that these guys were up to. But uh, anyway, so I'm going down there to get a haircut, and uh, and, it, and it was what we call a haji shop, okay? And I, nothing disparaging by it, at least not from me. Uh, as a good friend of mine used to tell me uh, in Iraq, there at one of the bases, he said, you know, haji, and, and, he, and he, he liked the name haji. He had uh, a patch on his uniform everywhere he went. It had haji. H-A-J-I, and he liked being called Haji, and he explained to me, Haji was a good thing, He said, and he, and he asked me, he said, do you know what that means, and why it's good, I said, no, I don't, and he explained it to me, he says, Haji means you have made the trip to Mecca, okay, you have successfully made the trip to Mecca, so if you do that, you are now a Haji, and that's a sign of respect, and he liked it, so I mean no disrespect when I say Haji, Okay. Now there are some people that use it, you know, nefariously and in, in, in demeaning ways, but I don't. Anyway, so I'm down there, going in to get a haircut, and I've got my, you know, various blades on me here, there, and whatnot. And I walk in, and it, and I don't know if they're from Pakistan, if they're from Iran, Iraq, or Kuwait. Who knows? Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm an American dude. It's not always easy to know for sure what country these guys are from, but. It's filled with three or four of these guys, and they're like, you know, sitting around reading magazines, just waiting for someone like me to walk in, get a haircut. Um, and so, you know, I, and he does he does a marvelous bang-up job doing the haircut, um, and these guys don't do it quick either. I mean, I don't think I ever spent anything less than 45 minutes in that shop. It was always like between 45 minutes and 90 minutes every time I went in there. Haircut, facial trim, and you know, shave, I mean, they just, everything, you know, ear waxing, nose waxing, it was like, oh man, I mean, stuff I didn't want, didn't ask for, but they did it, and they do it, and how they do it with these straight age, 
edge razors, and floss. Yes, floss, like the stuff that we use to clean our teeth. I mean, it's amazing what these guys are able to do. But this guy did such a bang-up job, and, and, you know, when you ask them how much, they say, as you please. And I mean, and I'm like, what? What do you mean, as I please? As you please. Well, how much? 5 KD? 10? 20? How much? As you please. And it's like, okay, I finally figured it out. I get it. And I don't remember how much I paid him every time. Um, I think that first time, just to test the waters, I paid him 5 KD. Because, again, the, the uh, American rate from American dollars to Kuwaiti dinar was roughly $3.50. So if I paid him 5 KD, I mean, I'm paying him, what, 17 18 bucks for a haircut and shave? Maybe that's cheap, and it kind of was. But thereafter, every time thereafter, you know, it was 10 to 20 KD. Why not? This guy, especially when we're in the second and successive times, I mean, I just got the royal treatment. And I always got really nervous when he was pulling out that straight razor, shaving up my neck and my throat, <laughs> and the back of my head and my neck. You understand what I'm saying, okay? But he was, he was great, and for whatever reason, uh, he took real good care of me. Uh, the fourth or fifth time I went in there, um, I didn't recognize him, and I maybe I didn't see him. I don't think he was in there, but there was somebody else, and I thought it was him. So I sat down, and he went to slather me up, and the dude that normally cuts my hair comes around the corner, and it was almost uh, like something you see in a movie. They started arguing, and it didn't, take, it didn't last long, but he made it pretty clear that I was his customer. What is he doing trespassing, trying to take me from him? <laughs> anyway, just as before, offer me whatever I wanted to drink. I mean, soda galore, uh, juice galore, water, whatever I wanted. I mean, they just, you know, and I had the same sort of treatment in Iraq and Afghanistan. I'm just saying that these people, uh, for whatever reason, whether they actually truly liked me or sent some good of me or just wanted the American dollar, immaterial. They took care of me. I minded my P's and Q's, okay? I was very careful to make sure that I that I was as respectful as possible. And why not? You know, being a good person. And so, you know, speaking of, you know, good person and doing the right thing, I mean, you know, and trying to fit in and, and get them to understand that, like, you know, it almost be, became part of my routine, no matter where I went, that, you know, after a time you figure it all out. And it's like, I, I try, when I was interfacing with these people, for lack of a better term, whether it was through instruction, training, supervising, managing, whatever I was doing, um, working, you know, it was like trying to get them to understand, even the, the guard force from various countries. It's like, look, we're not all the same, just like you guys are not all the same. Okay, we're not all the same. Yeah, some of us, some of you do fit the stereotype, but we're not all the same. And so I kind of, that was one of my many missions was to get people to understand that all Americans are not alike. Okay, some of us, maybe a lot of us are actually good people. Okay. And, and so those things and the things I did and, and we talked about would, uh, you know, go a long way. And and one example would be, I'm uh, we're outside and this is at JBAD at one of these uh, small compounds, and uh, we're standing just outside the uh, security gate. Uh, I don't remember what we were doing, but there was a group of them out there. They were in line, 
and at the time I was trying to learn uh, one of the local languages there. And as I recollect, it was not Farsi. It was Pashtun. I was trying to learn Pashtun. And, you know, just the basics, just so I could, you know, communicate the basics. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, this line of them um, overheard the conversation I was having with uh, our translator slash interpreter. And uh, they were slightly bemused and they, they were having fun. And, you know, but the other thing that, that, that we took away from that was that they really dug, they really appreciated that I was trying to learn their language and trying to communicate with them in their language. And not only did it serve me on the job, but it served me and everybody else as well because I was doing far more than they expected, far more than they thought that an American would do because maybe a lot of them didn't do that. So uh, there, there's a lot of stories like that. And maybe I'll touch on some more of them um, another time. Uh, but kind of want to put a wrap on this one. Uh, so, you know, friends, friends, friends. Here in America, outside of America, CONUS, OCONUS. You know, it's not that you got everybody has to be a friend. That's not what I'm saying. Okay, I'm not saying to be a smart ass, um, a suck up or, or anything like that or an ass kisser. I'm just saying there's nothing wrong with being polite and friendly. Okay, uh, you can be polite and friendly, even to people that are enemies. Um, you know, if they cross the line, they cross the line. And, you know, maybe you just got to let them know where that line is. And I had to do that a number of times. And for the most part, that worked because they knew, yeah, that's the line. So as long as they didn't cross the line, we were fine. And, uh, of course, you know, conversely, I had to make sure I didn't cross that line as well. Uh, and sometimes we crossed the line inadvertently unwittingly we didn't mean to but it happens so you know friends just get along with people i guess that's what i'm trying to say there's nothing wrong with trying to get along with people okay if they prove themselves otherwise well that's another matter so with that said i want to thank you everyone for taking time out of your day or your evening to listen to me talk about my experiences as a private security contractor, OCONUS, or overseas, or outside the continental United States. Thank you again to uh, Kava Cohen and Colin Perry, Andre Rodriguez. Um, thank you to my wife, my children, and all the folks, male and female, who have been a part of my life and still are. Truly, I'm grateful for all the people that I've come in contact with who have in one way or another enriched my life and got me where I'm at, back home safe. Remember that the grass is not always greener on the other side, folks. Be careful what you wish for because you might just get it. Stay humble, stay safe, and keep others safe by staying frosty. And until next time, Keep it real.